You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The term gaslighting is an expression that we hear being used quite frequently lately, particularly in the world of politics. Yet the term is only a relatively recent addition to our lexicon. In fact, few people were using the term just 10 years ago. And what many people don't know is that its origins can be traced directly back to the 1944 movie Gaslight, which starred Ingrid Bergman in her Academy Award-winning role, Charles Boyer, Joseph Cotton, and in her film debut, Angela Lansbury. Well, in a few moments after a long absence from the podcast, my wife Mary Jane will be joining me to discuss not only the Hollywood production of Gaslight, but we will also be talking about the original 1938 London play and the 1940 British movie on which this classic movie was based. I am Steve Silverman, and this is the Useless Information Podcast. Useless Information So Mary Jane, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. Yes, that's right. Hi. Yes, uh, I, I've gotten some emails from people wondering where you were. And as you know, I've had you locked in the dungeon in the basement for a while. Well, not exactly, Steve. But uh, yeah, I've been a little busy. Yeah. And uh, I should mention that we have been together the whole time. Although... <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're married. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's not like you've disappeared or anything like that. Uh I would say, when was the last time we did a podcast like this? I think it was in, back in January or so. It was, yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, since that time, we've actually been together all the time except for five nights, I think, right? You went to New York City for one night to chaperone a school trip. Yes, yep, in June. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to Florida for four nights, uh, so therefore we didn't see each other over those days. But uh, we've been together the whole time, but you've been busy with school, uh, you had COVID. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. and... and- Summer camp, other and, things came right. up. So you've been very busy. And uh, as we're recording this, you're about to start the new school year. And this could actually be the uh, toughest school year you've had in a long, long time. So uh, you could be very busy. It could be quite a while before we hear from you again, right? Yes, that's that's very true. Yes. So mm-hmm. anyway, so uh, nobody wants to hear this kind of stuff, I don't think. But um, so a few months ago, I went to you and I said I suggested the movie Gaslight. And the reason I suggested that is because the term gaslighting has become, you know, kind of you know, ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. That's that's in, word. That was the word. All, a lot of things related to politics. Yes. Right. I was just, just about to use that term myself. And um, so we did watch the movie, and then of course you got COVID after that. So we kind of, and then you got into finals, and you taught summer camp. So we pushed it off, uh, and we just rewatched it uh, about a week ago. So here we are. We're going to discuss the movie and. Uh, 
we do have a little bit of surprise is going to come along towards it. We have we have some other information we're going to add to it uh, in the second half, I think, right? Right, yeah. Okay, so uh, we did do some discussion beforehand as we're watching the movie, but there's some things we just kind of said we're not going to discuss that, and that'll be a kind of a surprise to both of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I thought you'd go first. I told you to look up a definition for gaslighting, so what did you find? Right. Now this, I before I read it, I am going to say that it, it very much fits the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it, the meaning has morphed since, you know, this definition, and it, it has changed a bit, but this is kind of... The original meaning, all right? This is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Gaslighting, an elaborate and insidious technique of deception and psychological manipulation, usually practiced by a single deceiver or gaslighter on a single victim over an extended period. Its effect is to gradually undermine the victim's confidence in his own ability to distinguish truth from falsehood, right from wrong, or reality from appearance, thereby rendering him pathologically dependent on the gas lighter in his thinking or feelings. So that's kind of a textbook, uh, you know, dictionary, encyclopedia type definition. Of course, as you said, that it's not really applied that way as much as we hear it more in the terms of politics. And honestly, it's only the last four, five, six years that I've really heard the term a lot. Right. And and this is, of course, on an individual basis here, mm-hmm. this description. And, and of course, that's not the case when it comes to politics. You're trying to influence a lot of people. But this does fit the movie we're going to talk about. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll just add in terms of politics or, or just in general, uh, I noticed online on YouTube, as I'm watching some of the videos related to this, a lot of people underneath, particularly women, have written about how they've been gaslighted in relationships. Yes. You know, basically yeah. fooled, uh, given misinformation, uh, you know, a false narrative, and they're convinced something else is true, and that's not the reality of the situation. So the movie we are going to talk about is Gaslight, but it actually began as a play in Great Britain, and it, was, it wasn't one word, it was two words, Gaslight. And of course, that refers to the gas lights that they used prior to electricity in uh, homes uh, during the Victorian era, basically, or a little bit before that. Uh, this play made its debut on the British stage in December of 1938 at the Richmond Theater. It is written by Patrick Hamilton, who had previous success with a play called Rope's End. And for those of you who are fans of Alfred Hitchcock, which I am, uh, the movie Rope was based on that play. Now... Vincent Price, supposedly, that the famous actor, Vincent sure. Price, mm-hmm. which I think most young people would only know might from this. Know. They might not know him, but his voice is very famous from the song Thriller by right. Michael Jackson, right? right? Yes. He does the narration at the end. Uh, but Vincent Price saw the play supposedly in England. He may have seen the British version of the movie, and he brought it to the United States. And uh, there was a play on Broadway called Angel Street. Uh, and it was very successful. And that's when the American movie was made from that. So as I said, there was a British movie. It was made in 1940. It was called Gaslight, of course. It was now one word. And it starred Anton Walbrook and Diana Wynyard. Uh, and it was a hit movie. It was very, very popular. Right. So it's uncertain whether that was what you know led to the American movie or it was the Broadway play. My thinking is it was the Broadway play because uh, the British version of the movie was shown here, uh, but it was a flop. Interesting. Yeah, so... I didn't know that. So because it was a flop, there wouldn't be much interest in making an American movie, I think. But because the play was very successful, you know, starring Vincent Price and others on Broadway, 
that probably led to, uh, you know, the movie being made here. Right. And I think we're going to talk about how they were different. Right. Also the new American remake. <laughs> yeah. Versus the play and the original movie. So anyway, MGM buys the rights to the movie. And one of the conditions was they ordered all the existing prints, you know, all prints of the British movie to be destroyed. In other words, they didn't want any record that that ever happened. And we will come back to that in a little bit. Now, the 1944 movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards, and it won two. Uh, one of those awards was for Best Actress. That was to Ingrid Bergman. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, the uh, movie stars Charles Boyer, Joseph Cotton, Angela Lansbury, who we'll talk about in a bit. She's most famous right. today for... Murder, She Wrote. Right, and this was her first role, and she was how old? She was 17. Yes. Very young. Mm-hmm. Very, very young at the time. And the movie was directed by George Kukor, and it runs an hour and 57 minutes. It's in black and white, of course. Now, we watched the movie on the Roku channel. Uh, we have Roku devices in the house, um, and uh, it does play with commercials, though. Right. Um, it's not on Amazon Prime. Well, it is if you want to pay to watch the movie. Uh, but I also noticed uh, I did a quick search, and our local library system has five copies in various libraries. So I'm sure other people can just go to their library and get a copy also. Yes, it's a classic at this yeah. point. <laughs> so I should also mention before we get into the movie right. that the other Academy Award was for Best Production Design. It was nominated for Best Picture and so on, right. but it didn't win those categories. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I think we'll talk about that. Right. Yeah. Now, before we discuss uh, what we thought about the movie, right. I thought maybe you give a quick little overview of uh, what took place. And certainly we don't want to give the whole thing away. Although, if you read some of the reviews of the time and even reviews they, this day, they kind of give the story give away. away. Yeah. yeah. So the movie opens with a man holding a newspaper. It's dated October 14th, 1875. And the headline reads, Thornton Square Murder Unsolved. Strangler still at large. Recent murder of Alice Alquist, the famous prima donna. I should mention that's all it says. They don't, you know, they don't show you any more of the newspaper, and then they quickly cut to the next scene. So it, yes, it was actually very fast, anyhow. So yeah, that's they're kind of giving us the time period and everything in the mm-hmm. situation. So the murder occurred at Nine Thornton Square in London, and. The woman's niece, Paula Alquist, who's played by Ingrid Bergman, she is sent off to Italy to train to be a singer, just like her aunt, Mm -hmm. and also sort of to forget about this tragic event. And she later falls in love with her accompanist, the pianist Gregory Anton, who's played by Charles Boyer. And they surprisingly marry shortly after, only two weeks. Um, He seems to really press this, and she is a little reluctant, but she gives in because she loves him. So the next thing that happens is they move back to this apartment, which is a bit surprising because she seems to be very much haunted by the event of her aunt being murdered there. But as it turns out, the her husband really wants to move there. He seems to think this is a perfect place to move. And the next thing that happens is she seems to slowly be going insane Um, She is forgetting things, events. She is misplacing things, and she even seems to be taking things from her husband, his his pocket watch. Um, Also, a picture on the wall seems to be taken, or so he's telling her that these things have happened. 
because in reality, he wants to, her to believe she's going insane. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happens is that at night, when he goes off to compose some music, she starts to hear noises in the attic. She also notices, and this is where our title comes in, she notices that the gaslight uh, goes down, the light goes down. And then shortly before he returns, oh, it goes up. And, you know, this makes it seem like, is the house haunted? What's going on, you know? But in fact, it's because he is going up into this attic and he's searching for her aunt's jewels, which Mm -hmm. is actually what he always wanted because he is the murderer of the aunt. And um, that's pretty much the storyline. Right. The interesting thing about this movie is that you're, I mean, it is a suspenseful movie, you kind of know what's going on the whole time. Well, you do know that he's evil. You get right. you get all these close-ups um, where he just looks really diabolical. And you, you see him taking these objects and either hiding them or putting them in her, her purse, mm-hmm. you know, and then saying, you you took my watch, you know, things like right. that. So it's all, yes, it's very obvious to the audience what's happening. Right. So Mary Jane uh, Ingrid Bergman won the Academy Award for Best right. Actress for her role in this movie, what did you think about, you know, her acting and what did you think yeah, about the sure. role itself? Well, her acting, I thought she did a great job. I, I did enjoy watching it. Um, the actual character for the for the movie was it was a little upsetting. It was a little difficult to put up with in a way because she's she's excruciatingly subservient during, throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. until the end. At the end she kind of regains her identity. Um, but you keep wanting her to get a backbone <laughs> right and it's so, so that part's a little difficult to watch but maybe that's the whole idea of the movie mm-hmm. you know yeah i mean it is the time period um when the movie first started we've watched it twice now yes uh, i didn't really mm-hmm. notice this the second time around but the first time i really didn't like her acting at the beginning but then if then as the movie started to you know you know kind of gain steam and i thought her acting got better and better as uh, yeah. it progressed well, I did find there was an interesting contrast between her and the maid, which I know we're going to get to because she was played by uh, Angela Lansbury. But she is kind of an upper class, very delicate, almost submissive wife, you know, always doing the right thing as this upper class woman, uh, you know, doing exactly as her husband wants. And in this case, he wants her to believe she's going crazy. So that's it's a little hard to watch, but um, it's interesting. Yeah, um, I do agree it's interesting. And we'll talk a little bit about how the original version of this was set up versus what Ingrid Bergman did right. uh, later on. Now, uh, second most important character in this movie is Charles Boyer. Uh, and by the way, your French speaker, is that being pronounced right? It's pretty good. It, how, it, how would you say it in Boyer. French? Boyer. It's okay. very close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Most people get it quite right, actually, here in America. <laughs> Yeah, and he's playing Gregory Anton. He's the husband, and of course, we it's pretty obvious from early on he's up to no good. Right, yeah, he always has these sly looks, and as I was saying earlier. Uh, any thoughts on his acting? I thought he did a very good job. I mean, he. I mean, let's face it, he's playing kind of a scum, <laughs> and he does a great job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's right. quite convincing. Although his accent at the beginning, I couldn't quite get used to it. It sounded a little bit like Ricardo Montalban. Remember him from... Uh, Fantasy Island yes, and uh, yeah. and the car commercials, you know, rich Corinthian leather. So, uh, but eventually I got over that. Um, the one thing I did notice about this is this is taking place in England. Uh, and basically the three main characters don't have British accents. 
Yes, and they never really explain what nationality he's supposed to be, I think, but he's actually from Prague, they say, mm-hmm. right? So he's pretending to be of a different nationality, but they, I don't think they ever state what nationality he is. Yeah. yeah. So I thought this would be a good point to do a portion of a review on their two roles. This is from the May 5th, 1944 issue of the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, page 17, and it's written by Jane Corby. Gaslight is the screen version of the play by Patrick Hamilton, known on Broadway as Angel Street. I haven't seen the play. I don't see how it can be better or even as good as Gaslight, which has something the play hasn't got. Ingrid Bergman. The blonde star's portrayal of a young, adoring wife who is systematically being driven out of her mind by her husband, Charles Boyer, who murdered her aunt, mind you, is a magnificent contribution to the long roster of good roles which Miss Bergman has created. Boyer himself is so convincing that you wonder whether you haven't been taken in all along by those other roles of his in which he made passionate love to swooning ladies. Maybe he wasn't on the level then either. Uh, Which leads us to the third character, and this is the investigator. Uh, He's from Scotland Yard. He's a detective. Right. Uh, Brian Cameron, who's played by Joseph Cotton. Who does not have a Scottish accent (laughs) by by any means. (laughs) Yeah. um, At the end of the movie, I'm like, they couldn't find anyone with a British accent. I mean, I've never, you know, living in the United States, I have no interaction with anyone from Scotland Yard. But I just can't imagine there are too many people with, uh, you know, middle American or just American accents as a whole, you know? Yeah, I mean, but to their credit, the maids are British. That is true. Both of them are. And interestingly enough, the the woman that we're also going to talk about had a very short part, but we'll talk about her later. Right. But but the three major actors, uh, and there's not even an attempt to do it, you know? No, none whatsoever. You know, (laughs) I mean, we we certainly have watched our share of movies where uh, British or, or Australian actors do their best at American accents, and there's no problem. You know, I mean, you may notice a little bit, but in general, they do a very good job. And I'm sure there are, uh, I mean, we're not British, we can't say this for sure, but I'm sure there are American actors who can do a fairly good British accent, but there is absolutely no attempt here at all. I think in the past, yeah, I think nowadays people are actually better about that and sub- reading subtitles, you know, mm-hmm. having parts where we actually, I mean, in America, we're actually willing to read subtitles now, you know, for a portion of a movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Um, now, uh, there's two minor, well, there's actually three minor characters, but really we'll only talk about two of them. Sure. One is uh, Ms. The Waits, who's played by Dame Mae Whitley. Uh, and she has a very small role, but what is her role in this movie? Well, it does appear that because she wasn't in the um, original movie, it's to kind of help explain things mm-hmm. almost as she talks. She's almost explaining. She's a busy body and she talks a lot, right. but she does help us to understand aspects of the movie. And at the very end, maybe we'll leave that for the very end, but she really explains the future of what's going to happen right. next. Right. Yeah. She's just the town gossip. And uh, she isn't part of the original play or the British movie. And I said to you at the end, even though the script is very good for this movie, right. when you need to bring in another character ex- to explain what's yes. going on throughout yeah. the movie, uh, that, that's kind of problematic to me. Uh, and, and maybe yeah. it wouldn't be so noticeable if I didn't know how it was originally written, you know? Right. But I mean, you know, she's actually a great actress and she pulls off this whole busybody neighbor pretty mm-hmm. well. So uh, I'm okay with it. 
Okay, and the last character, and the main reason we're going to talk about her, besides her role, sure. is because she gained much greater fame after this, and that's yes. Angela Lansbury. And this was, in fact, her first role ever. Yes, yeah. Um, I heard her interviewed, and um, it's kind of interesting. I think we're going to talk a little bit about the story, with mm-hmm. because she has an interaction with the... Um, you know, the character by played by um, Charles Boyer, and she's a little flirty with him, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so it's different than the British one. I don't know if you wanted to bring that up. A yeah, bit, but, but uh, let me play the clip of that. Oh, yeah, that would be great. So let me introduce this a little bit. Uh, basically, we have sure. Angela Lansbury, who plays the parlor maid Nancy, and she's having a conversation, a very flirtatious conversation with her boss that's uh, played by Charles Boyer, that's uh, Gregory Anton. So right. let's take a listen to that. Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your evening out? Oh, I'm going to a musical. Up in the balloon, boys. Up in the I've never balloon. been to an English musical. Oh, you don't know what you've missed, sir. Up in the balloon, boys. Up in the balloon. You like it a lot, sir. Well, we must see about that. And whom are you going to the musical with? Gentlemen friends, sir. Oh, now you know, Nancy, don't you? That gentlemen friends are sometimes inclined to take liberties with young ladies. Oh, no, sir. Not with me. I can take care of myself. When I want to. You know, Nancy, it strikes me that you're not at all the kind of girl that your mistress should have for a housemaid. No, sir. She's not the only one in the house, is she? Now, we had talked about this uh, a few days ago. Um, what did you want to say uh, regarding this? Well, I just think there's a nice contrast between Ingrid Bergman's part and uh, the maids. You know, one, the maid is working class and she's tough and she says she can take care of herself. And she doesn't seem like someone who would put up with some of the insinuations that he's making towards his wife about going crazy, you've mm-hmm. misplaced things, you know, and this... And Ingrid Bergman, on the other hand, is like a delicate, genteel flower mm-hmm. who, who, at every suggestion, he's like, she seems to think, oh, I, I guess maybe I am going crazy, <laughs> you know. So I just thought it was interesting, that that contrast. And he's interested, of course, in her also. So he's kind of manipulating with both of the women, but in different ways. Of course, in the original version, they do go off together to a uh, music, music hall. hall. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be um, unfaithful, for sure, right, no matter sure. what. Uh, and, of course, this is uh, you know, the early 1940s, so they really can't get too much into it. It's just implied, you know. Right, exactly. And I guess we should mention that, you know, the play, the original script is available online. Right. And uh, this is a total rewrite. I mean, there's there are some basic elements of this movie that are original, you know, that follow the play. Some parts. But overall, you wouldn't recognize it. Yeah. Um, it is a very, very different movie from what, uh, you know, the original play was. And, of course, the movie in uh, Great Britain was very similar to the original play. Right. So this is very, it's a very Hollywoodized thing. Now, the focus of this movie is on Ingrid Bergman's character as Paula Anton, where the original script and the British movie are focused mostly on the husband. So they've switched that around. Right. Uh, that was one thing I noticed. But probably the thing that I didn't like about this movie the most is it seemed very slow to me. Yes, I especially the first time. I, I felt it was long. I, rem- I remember just saying, is it over yet? Is it almost over yet? Yeah, <laughs> I checked my watch at lot. one point. Um, it, yeah. it, it seemed to really drag on. Now, we did watch it a second time, as we said, 
and you commented after you didn't notice it was running slow. Well, I mean, I knew what to expect, and I, I you know, for some reason, seeing it a second time, it, I was more patient, yes, with the, mm-hmm. the, the movie, yes. Yeah, I still felt it ran slow. I think it needed to be tightened up somehow, just a little bit, to make it a little bit more suspenseful, to keep you more on the edge of your seat, you know? Right. Well, I'm, I'm a really strong believer in a movie that's about an hour and a half, and this mm-hmm. was almost two hours right so yeah yeah i I think i think if they just tightened it up a bit it would have gone from a good almost great movie to a fantastic movie you know Mm -hmm. now if you read the reviews and we'll we'll share some of these in a few minutes right most of the uh reviewers at the time thought this was a super suspenseful movie but honestly i didn't find much in the way of suspense and i know we're looking at it all these years later this is 1940s Right. Style. But, uh, and I guess my reason for that is, you know, this husband is up to no good from the very beginning almost. And I can't help but wonder if uh, the original stage play and the movies that came from it, if they had been written so you didn't know that was going on. So you didn't know the husband. You just saw her going insane. And then somehow you reveal uh, that the husband's behind it. But you know from from the very beginning, you know, with the pocket watch miss, missing and so on, right. that that he's behind it. Well, the the title is gaslight, and mm-hmm. and that's it. It gave us this expression to gaslight someone. So it, it's I think they felt it was important to show how much he was manipulating her, mm-hmm. and you know, I I think that actually what makes it good mm-hmm. I, personally is actually seeing it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think the other thing that bothered me is this is a very dark set. Uh, and you you commented why. Well, I just thought that I, I enjoyed that. And you mentioned that they actually won a production design, mm-hmm. right? So I felt that the apartment is almost a character. It's, it's like, you know, it's supposed to be, she has the impression it's haunted practically. And you really get that with the shadows. And mm-hmm. um, so I enjoyed that. And you were right, though. It's a very the movie is a dark subject, and it's also very dark, literally. Right. I, I yeah. thought it was a little bit too dark. There is not a moment in this entire movie uh, where there's any sense of light. Yeah. Um, well, it and, could uh, symbolize her, her, what's happening to her. It's her yeah. life. It's, yeah, I, I, you you interpreted it as, as you know, more eerie and haunted, where I interpreted it as more dreary. Yeah. Just okay. very dreary. And that partly played into why the movie seemed kind of slow to me, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I should mention it was a beautiful set. I mean, very well done. Uh, the design, the only scene that really stood out to me as being awful was, uh, at the beginning of the movie where the two of them go to Lake Como. Well, yes, uh, I'll Italy. agree with that one for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was the most fake looking thing. Like uh, I said, it looked like they took a tub and then they just put up a hotel in the background <laughs> because it was a lake. <laughs> but it, it was a, it was like being on a stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really looked fake to me. So, I thought what we'd do is share some reviews uh, from the time, okay. um, and then we'll get into uh, a little bit more uh, of what else we want to share after that, okay? Yep, all right. Okay, so let's start with the first one here. Okay, so Steve, I'm going to read from the same article that you read from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, and the critic says, So Miss Thwaites, played by Dom May Whitney, has very little to do in Gaslight, but does put into words for the movie audience the way the movie audience itself, this member of it anyhow, feels about the happenings in Gaslight. 
Well, clearly you lived overseas and I haven't because you're saying dumb and I'm saying dame. Uh, but uh, that's my uh, typical American uh, accent, I guess. Anyway, I just felt her part, and I'll say this again, wasn't needed. It, she was only added to the movie to explain what was going on, to keep it going. And and that's yeah. kind of what the uh, person wrote there. They didn't say she wasn't needed, but she kind of narrated the story. Right. Um this is true. Again, though, I, I liked her acting job. I, I think she's a really a very good actress for such a small part. Mm-hmm. And so I was okay with her character. Yeah. And I'll share this one. This is from the May 14th, 1944 publication of the Cincinnati Enquirer, Section 3, Page 2, and is written by Ray Lanning. Uh, and we'll just kind of jump to the middle here. He hides his wife's jewelry, telling her she's mislaid He forbids her to leave the house she dislikes, telling her she is ill. He insists that she will eventually go insane, telling her her mother died in an asylum. All his insinuations, his tricks and words are carefully fitted together. The suggestions first, the statements later, so that his wife, listening to him, feels she has lost her mind. Ingrid Bergman as the wife is quite sure and vivid in her difficult role. Called upon to change from a gay and lilting girl to a thoroughly frightened and crazed woman, she handles all of her scenes better, her later more emotional scenes best. So Mary Jane, why don't you read the next one? Sure, this is from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Gaslight has been adapted so as to include practically all the excitement and refined terror of the stage play. In these days when most melodrama has been contained in war stories of great noise and violence... It comes as a welcome change of pace for those who get their best relaxation from skillfully concocted murder mysteries spiced with psychology and doused in murk. Doused in murk. I like yes, that. That's an unusual expression. But yes. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I couldn't find a negative review at all about this uh, movie. So uh, it was pretty much universally accepted at the time. Okay. So I'm going to do one next. Okay. This is from the May 15, 1944 publication of the Cincinnati Post on page 11 and is penned by Edward Carberry. Cotton, I think, best acquits himself in this shrewdly written and directed adaptation of the stage success Angel Street. But it is Boyer, suavely vicious, who will draw on the crowds and send them home talking. Miss Bergman is a charming victim, though a little too much given, perhaps, to drooping like a wilted flower. Angel Lansbury as a pert housemaid and May Witty as an amiable gossip bring in the necessary lighter note. Now that a part about uh, Miss Bergman being like a right. wilted flower, there were a few times in the movie where she just like, holy cow, that's overacting. And uh, we've noticed that before in other movies, you know, how the woman just kind of faints or turns away in this big sigh or whatever. But we dismiss that as, well, that was back then. That's what people expected. And here it is in a uh, review of the uh, time complaining yeah, that she did this. Feeling, yeah, she was overacting. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, although I will say she was excellent. Excu- excluding that little bit, she was excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's also the part she was supposed to play. She's She believes she's going mad. She's acts, she acts like she's going mad at the mm-hmm. end. Sure, yeah. certainly. I should also mention that uh, they mentioned in this review Angel Street. Uh, what happened was when they brought the play, when Vincent Price brought the play to Broadway, for some reason they couldn't call it Gaslight. Apparently that name had been used for some other play or movie. I'm not really Interesting. sure. I tried mm-hmm. to find it. Uh, I, I did find a mention that that's why they couldn't use the name. 
uh, it turns out in the original British play, when it played uh, in Britain, it took place on Angel Street, and that's where the name comes from. But they, you know, when of course when the movie came out, they went right back to Gaslight. Right. So we can keep going on and on with all these reviews. There were plenty of them. Right. But Mary Jane, uh, I wanted you to share one last one. So I wanted you to read that. All right. And I think you're going to find that this one is a little more positive about her acting. This comes from the May 19th, 1944 Pittsburgh Press. It presents the enchanting Ingrid Bergman as the lovely, pathetic victim of this diabolical gentleman's sadistic plottings. Far more effective than she was in Bell Tolls, Miss Bergman rings the heart and gaslight as you watch her slowly grow mad through the power of suggestion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, overall, the reviews were incredibly positive. And of course, she won the Academy Award for it. As I said, I don't think I came across a single, other than that one little comment, at all, I didn't come across anything that was negative about this movie. Okay, so now we do have a little surprise here. All and right. that is after we watched the movie the first time, Yes. You know, I, you must have been at work, and I found the original 1940 version. The oh, movie. of course. Right. Even though they were supposed to have destroyed yeah, them supposedly all. they were totally destroyed, yet somehow uh, there is a copy of it that it exists. Survived. <laughs> uh, and uh, the British Film Institute restored it, and it's for free on YouTube. And honestly, the quality is incredible. Yeah, it was very good. And there were different thoughts as to how this movie survived. One, one is that uh, when it was brought to the United States, Someone had written Angel Street on there, and therefore no one recognized that that was what it, it was. It was a British one. Yeah, and then there were thoughts that maybe the director or something kept a copy of it, and that's where it came from. Uh, but no one's exactly sure. But anyway, uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about the 1940 movie, and then we're going to compare and contrast them. And the one thing we definitely haven't discussed is which one we preferred. I know which one I preferred, and I'm sure you have your I have uh, my opinion. opinion. Yes. yes. Okay, so let's dive into that. All right. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So the British version stars Anton Wilbrook as the husband, Diana Winyard as the wife, uh, Frank Pettengill as the detective, and Kathleen Cordell as the parlor maid. That's Angela Lansbury's role. 
It's directed by Therold Dickinson, and it runs just 84 minutes, and you compare that with 117 of the American version, which I really felt dragged on after a while. So uh, this one is much right. more... Much uh, more compact. Much more yeah. compact. Now, uh, probably the most noticeable thing to me, I mean, there's a lot of differences between these two movies. Yes, yeah. The most noticeable is the very beginning. Because at the beginning, they actually show the strangulation of Alice Barlow. This is the aunt. And uh, she, uh, at the time, she's actually sewing a needlepoint with her name. She's finishing up. She puts her name on there right. and has the date of 1865. So you know exactly where this is set. They're not using a newspaper to tell you uh, the time period. I mean, no matter what, it's uh, Victorian uh, period. Right. Uh, I think in the American version, you do see Ingrid Bergman, who's kind of grief-stricken. And so you kind of get a feel for something horrific has happened, but you're right, mm-hmm. they don't show it at all. Yeah, I mean, this movie just jumps right into the action. Yeah. Where the American one, I don't know how long it was, 20, 25, 30 minutes, probably about 20, 25 minutes, they give you the whole backstory. You know, tell, you know, they take her to Italy and she's studying music and then they come back to England. Where here they just kind of throw you into it and uh, it picks up right after the murder. Now, um, the other noticeable thing, and I mentioned this earlier, is it in the British version, it, and this is true of the original play itself, is the focus is on the husband, the guy who's driving his wife mad. Whereas in the American movie, it's who? Well, Ingrid Bergman plays a big a big part in it. So yes, and it's her aunt, actually. It's kind of interesting. In the American version, it's her aunt that is killed. In the British one, it is actually the man's aunt that he kills. Right, and he, so. ma- he only marries the wife, the woman, uh, the young woman, because he wants her money so that he can afford to buy back the aunt's house and search for the jewels that he's right. looking for. So it's really, it's for her money, yes. Now, I guess I should mention that they, uh, after they buy this house, they come back 20 years after the murder. So 1865 plus 20 is 1885. So that's the same exact date that they have for the American movie. Although the American one, uh, I think the newspaper is dated 1875 and they had 10 years, but you end up with right. the same she date. she comes back 10 years later in the American one. Yeah. Right. Um, but what I did find interesting is the places, the names, they've all been changed, except for the maids. The maids stay the same. For example, in the British version, uh, the home is number 12 Pimlico Square, and in the uh, U.S. version, it's number 9 Thornton Square. Why they'd make that change, I don't know. Even the names of the characters... In the play, the British movie, and the American movie, they're all different. For example, the husband, that's the one who's driving her, the wife insane, his name in the play is Jack Manningham. He becomes Paul Mallon in the British movie, and then Gregory Anton in the American movie. The wife is Bella Barlow Manningham. Of course, she marries, gets the last name uh, Manningham. Then she becomes Bella Barlow Mallon. That's Diana Woodward's character in the British version. And then she becomes Paula Alquist Anton, uh, played by Ingrid Bergman in the American version. So the names are just changing here. Even the investigator, uh, he's a Constable Ruff in the play and in the British version. And then he becomes a much younger man, uh, played uh, by Joseph Cotton. That's Brian Cameron in the American version. As I said, the names of the two servants remain the same throughout it. That's Elizabeth and Nancy. Of course, if we go through all these names, we're just going to confuse everybody. So it's easy to just say husband and wife and, th- and the maid and the investigator and so on, I think. Sure, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now the beginning of the movie on both of these is very different. As I said, in the American one, this is whole backstory. The British one, they just throw you right into it. And the endings, which we'll talk about later on, are different. But the central core, even though all the dialogue and stuff is different, 
is kind of the same. The same events take place. For example, you know, there's a portrait missing off the wall. She's lost a cameo brooch. Uh, his pocket watch is missing. Yet to me, they feel like very, very different movies. I don't know what you think about that. Well, there's two main characters that, well, I, I wouldn't call them main, but um, there's two characters that are very different. We talked about that. One is very important to uh, the difference, I think, is the investigator. And the parlor maids are different. Their, their personality types are different. Mm-hmm. They still play the same role. But uh, Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I watched the American version, then I watched the British one. And even though I kind of knew how the story went, I felt like I was watching a different movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So anyway, uh, what I want to do, uh, of course, you know, gaslighting, he's trying to convince his wife that she's going nuts, that she's going insane. Uh, and of course, she should go in, into an institution. So I have two clips comparing, not, not necessarily uh, at the same moments in the movie, but comparing how it occurs in the British movie and then in the American movie with her going insane, uh, how it's handled. Uh, in one, she kind of realizes that the other one, the husband's basically telling her this. So let me first play the British version, okay? All right, yeah, let's do that. So I guess I should set this up a little bit. And uh, what we have here, this is from the 1940, the British version. We have the cook Elizabeth talking with Bella, that's the wife, and Bella is staring into a mirror. She's actually looking at her eyes in a mirror. This is what she says. There, there, ma'am. There's only something wrong with the pipes. You must have dropped off and been dreaming you heard something. That's right, Elizabeth. Dreaming. But I dream things when I'm awake. I'm going out of my mind, Elizabeth. Oh, ma'am. You mustn't say such things. You know, Elizabeth. Well, the master did say something, but... uh... I once knew a girl who died in a lunatic asylum. I remember her eyes. That was how they first knew. If there's anything I can do, ma'am. No, thank you, Elizabeth. There isn't anything anybody can do. So I know uh, when we heard this the first time, you had a comment that you made to me. So why don't you uh, share that? Well, I think we laughed at her response to the maid. You know, she kind of, I don't know, kept up her stiff upper lip and said, uh, no, 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 I'll be fine. <laughs> and she, I'm, I'm just going mad here. Yeah, very, very prim and proper. Yes. She's, she's going, you know, thinks she's going insane and she's going to end up in a mental institution. And she's just handling it very, right. very sophisticated. Right. With a sophisticated I'll be fine. approach. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so now we're going to uh, play a clip from the 1944 version. This is the husband, played by uh, Charles Boyer, basically telling his wife, that's Ingrid Bergman, that she's going insane. Right. Mm-hmm. Your mother was mad. Oh, Gregory. She died in an asylum when you were a year old. That's not true. I've been making inquiries about Alice Alquist's sister. I've talked to the doctor who attended her. Do you like to see him? No. He described her symptoms to me. Do you like to hear them? Oh. It began with her imagining things, that she heard noises, footsteps, voices. And then the voices began to speak to her. And in the end, she died in an asylum with no brain at all. No, please. Oh, no, no. Clearly, the reactions of these two wives are very different in these movies. Um, and, you know, what did you want to add to that? Well, yes. I mean, the British 
woman is more despondent and depressed, whereas Ingrid Bergman, in a sense, she's fighting against it a little. She screams, she Mm -hmm. cries, and he's just telling her, you know, you're mad, just like your mother. And um, so I I guess she's a little more, uh, you know, emotional, Mm -hmm. certainly, than the British. Right. Uh, Yeah, I did feel the British movie, the acting as a whole, was much more subdued, you know, Uh, just, just across the board. Uh, whereas in the American version, Ingrid Bergman, you know, she really lets it go. And I guess that's why she won the Academy Award, you know? Right. And I suppose it could be a cultural difference. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. So. so there clearly are differences in the main characters here. You know, uh, I think the British actors, uh, the two main actors, the husband and wife, that's uh, uh, Anton Wilbrook and Diana Winyard, they're a little bit more subdued than in the American version. But the real difference to me is in the constable and the maid as Angela Lansbury's role. So uh, now the investigator is Constable Ruff and he's played by uh, Frank Pettengill. And what's the most obvious thing? Well, he's he's an older man, an older gentleman with quite a paunch, and and he's kind of fatherly in this right. in this movie. Yeah, trying to look out for her, concerned about her, but more like a father. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about the investigator yeah, well, in the American? Well, the Amer- we already said, you know, uh, uh, the investigator in the American one, that's Brian Cameron, is played by Joseph Cotton. A, his accent is way off. Yes, and this he's, is true. he's clearly there. I mean, A, he's got fame at the time. He was a famous actor. Uh, but second, he's a young guy. Young, slim, attractive right. Right for the time. Yeah. Right. Uh, a l- little bit of eye candy, I would say. Yes. And we have to say, I think now he becomes a, almost like a love interest at the very end of the movie. Right. And we'll talk about the ending in a bit and uh, what we yeah. liked and didn't like about them. And the other part is the parlor maid. Now, Kathleen Cordell plays the role in the British version. And, of course, Angela Lansbury plays in the American version of this movie. So what what are your comments on that? So the British parlor maid is definitely more innocent, young, vivacious. He's attracted to her, the male character. As a matter of fact, there's one point where he says, you are inexperienced, aren't you? And she looks confused and says, depends how you mean, sir. And then he laughs. So you could have said that in a different manner, but mm-hmm. she says it more in an innocent manner. Whereas uh, Angela Lansbury's character is is more of a tart sort of, so that's kind of the Hollywood forties, I think, style, sure. making her kind of sexy. <laughs> although, although I will say it was uh, kind of interesting. I've always ha- heard about the Can Can Girls, and yes. in the nineteen forty version, they really had they them on showed, the screen. Yeah, they showed the music hall with the Can Can Girls, so that that was interesting. That yeah, was, it, it yeah. really seemed like it was a real music hall where they filmed that. I'm not. Oh really my sure. goodness! And the dancing was amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty Very much the impressive. real thing. Yeah. So what about the production? I mean, we already mentioned that the American version is a typical Hollywood production with incredible sets, except for that one scene at the lake. But in general, it was really, really well done. What do you think about the British sets? Well, it's not as elaborate. I'm mm-hmm. sure they didn't, you know, possibly didn't have the kind of the Hollywood money, the funds to, to make sure. it that elaborate. So Yeah, it seemed like a set to me. In fact, one of the things I mentioned to you earlier is that the British one really seems like a play. It, this, even the set looks like a play. And then the American version is more of a movie set, you know, much more it's elaborate. A little more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. more on, on a much grander scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very noticeable to me. But I will say this, and that is I didn't find that the British version dragged at all. 
No, it, it, it gets uh, A plus for editing, yeah. I think. <laughs> and, and it is truer to the original play. Uh, the American version takes a lot of liberty uh, you know, right. with it. Yeah, they rewrote a lot. Mm-hmm. So at the end of both of these movies, you realize the wife is not insane. She's not losing anything. She's done nothing wrong other than to fall under the husband's spell. Right. What I did find interesting is in the British version, it's actually the husband who's insane, and they really do show that insanity. Right. But that's totally removed from the American version. Yeah, it was a nice twist on the on the British one, for sure. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, at the end of the American version, uh, there is a nice little speech where she is regaining... Kind of, yeah, she regains her identity, and she kind of fights back, in a sense, and she actually tries to kind of give him a taste of his own medicine for a little while and pretends to be too mad to help him escape because he wants to escape. He wants her help. Well, we don't want to play that whole segment. Let's just hear a little bit of that. And of course, this is Ingrid Bergman in the American uh, version. I found it at last, you see, but it doesn't help you, does it? And I'm trying to help you, aren't I? Trying to help you to escape. How can a mad woman help her husband to escape? But you're not mad. Yes, I am mad as my mother was mad. No, Paula, that wasn't true. Help me. If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. But because I am mad, I hate you. Because I am mad, I have betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret, watching you go with glory in my heart. Mr. Cameron, come! So I like this piece because it's kind of a long time coming to have her stand up for Mm -hmm. herself. So I kind of like that the way they end it there. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Now, uh, we should also talk about the very ending of these movies. They end very differently. There's a bit of symbolism in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in the British version, the wife goes out on a balcony and she's looking out over the square, and you get the sense she has freedom, she has independence. Right, right, yes. And then in the American one, she goes out on the balcony with the investigator, and and he says, it's going to be hard, but I'll be here to help you. And then she kind of touches his shoulder and says, you're so very kind. And then out of the blue, the the busybody woman shows up and says, oh, my. Yeah, and that's the end of the movie. that's the end of the movie. (laughs) And... And I told you after, I just thought that was not needed. Yeah, a little cheesy. I mean, it basically, it's that, she. oh, she's gone from one husband to another. She's right. probably, this is going to be her, at least her boyfriend probably in yeah. the future. I, I have to say, I liked the British ending better, that little bit yes, better yeah. than the American. I just... Uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm looking through, you know, you know, the eyes of a, someone living in the year 2022. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... It's almost like she needs a man and she'll have a man and she'll be happy after that. Where you know, in, she'll always need someone. In yeah, the British version, there's, there's no hint of that. She's just going to do fine. This is true, but a few moments before that, we do have to say she has her rich cousin saying that he's so happy that she's now kind of uh, regained her independence and all mm-hmm. that. And you do get the sense that she's going to be cared for by her family. So you, mm-hmm. you still get that message there, you know. Um, but anyhow, you're right. It definitely the very last few minutes is very different, and the the British one is a little more positive as far as women, you know, taking care of themselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mary Jane. Now for the big surprise, because we purposely have not discussed this. Which version did you like better? 
All right. Now, I know when we saw it first, I, I, I felt like I liked the British one, but mm-hmm. I guess the second time around, I did appreciate some of the the acting, um, some of the set design and, and the cinematography. I kind of went for the American one. So I think I'm going to go a little bit more for the American one. But let's give the credit to the British for having written the script, you know, yeah. coming up with the whole idea. I have to say, after I watched both the first time, I liked the British one better. But I have to say, even after watching them twice, I still prefer the British one. Right. I okay. think it just gets right into it. Right. It There's, keeps you very engaged the whole time. Yeah. Sure, it's certainly nowhere near as beautiful of a set to look at. The acting's a little bit more subdued, but I just preferred the story. I was more glued to the screen for that one right. than the American I, one. You know, honestly, though, the American one, there's a darkness to it, and I don't mean visually. I mean, their relationship is, is a little more uh, sadomasochistic almost because she. it's very strange the way once he says, oh, I'm sorry, darling, she just loves him all again, you know, mm-hmm. no matter how torturous he is. So um, it's not just the visuals. I, I, I like the American one also kind of for the psychological piece too. Yeah, uh, I'll that's agree. just my opinion. I'll agree with you uh, to uh, to a point, but I just couldn't get over that the American one dragged. It was it, longer. Yes, yeah, it, absolutely. It, um, it was a little too long. Yeah, and, and I said this, I said this to you after we watched both of them. Uh, I think the first time. I didn't need all that backstory at the beginning. I like that the British one just throws you into the action. Uh, although it is, it does, you know, run more like a play. You, you, you know, you're watching a theatrical set almost, and it's more of a play. But I just like that version better. So we disagree, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So that's, that's not unusual. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we, people think we fight over everything, which we really don't. Uh, we get along pretty well. Um, but anyway, so I guess no matter which version you choose. Is it worth going back and finding a copy of these movies and watching them? Absolutely, if you if you enjoy and have the patience for older movies, mm-hmm. and which I which I do. But you want to watch it with a friend. I don't know if I'd watch them alone. It's, mm-hmm. it's true the American ones a bit long, um, but they're yeah. worth watching. I think for sure. And, and of course, I should mention that the British version is totally free. It's on YouTube for free, no commercials, yeah, nothing. Yeah. And it's in great condition. They really did a good job of restoring this movie. So if you don't have access to the American one, at least see the uh, British one. I think yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. And it's yeah. only an hour and a half, so it's not that big a deal. Not, right. not even, it's a really, really good movie. They're, they're both good movies. Right. The British one's very good also. No, no doubt about it. Okay. So uh, here I am cutting you off. Sorry about that. But we got to give it a score. You know, we're teachers. Oh, uh, we have to grade them. One to ten, right? Uh, actually, I think, uh, did we do one to ten the last time? I think we, no, I think we did out of a hundred, right? Because uh, well, we're teachers. It's, it's pretty similar. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 8.8 yeah. is 88. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so uh, let's start with the British version. What grade would you give that? So if we're doing one to a hundred, um, I would give it an 87. Mm-hmm. And the American one, I'm not going to give it much more. Maybe 88. I mean, they're both really good. It's just they're different in mm-hmm. style. And, yeah. Uh, honestly, I would give them about the same score. I, I, they're certainly not. Uh, I've seen better movies than than both of these, but they are in the high 80s for both of them. I might reverse a little bit, but uh, you know, basically they're both under 90. percent I would say they're definitely not average movies. I think they're better than average simply because the story is very good. 
Right. Um, so uh, I recommend you see one of them at least. Yeah, and then you know where the term gaslighting came from. Yeah, and and I should mention uh, we watch both, and you don't get bored. You can watch one and watch the other, and because they're they're done so differently, uh, it's almost like watching a different movie. It, it's almost like there's so many movies they've remade. If you watch a Star Is Born, they've done so many versions right. of it's, that. It's almost nice to compare for sure. Right. Yep. Uh, uh, so. So anyway, I guess we should bring this to an end. All right. Uh, I know you have school starting in yeah, two days. I've got work to do right now, actually. <laughs> so uh, you, you may you may be uh, distant for a while. Yeah. I, I just want to thank you for taking the time out to do this. I know you're my wife, and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, well, the commute was so short. It was yeah. fine. <laughs> um, and, and, and I got you out of the dungeon. So yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, although your office is actually on the second floor. Right. But um, so I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'm doing, as you know, no one else knows this. I'm working on Um, a new thing for the podcast. Sounds interesting. I'm not going to quite go into it right now. Um, I've had this idea for years, but it's different from how I've done things in the past. And it's not, I'm still going to do these longer stories and I'm still going to do the retro cast, but this is something different. It may be a little late, uh, as you know. I'm having more dental surgery. It seems like a, oh, a constant yes. thing mm. on this podcast, but I am having another dental surgery. Uh, I think it's on Thursday this of this week. Okay. Um, so uh, I don't know how I'll be. It may be a few days where I can actually work on it and record, so we'll see. Right. Um, but uh, I think people will enjoy it, and you've heard what it is without yeah, giving away. Yeah. I think it's a little we'll bit of keep a, it a mystery for now. Yeah, it's still looking at an old at old stories and stuff, yep. but uh, in, a, in a different point of view. So anyway, I just think I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Take care, everyone. Bye. Okay. Yep. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.